0: UCLA at the Rose Bowl. This will simply suit everyone's hunger for the upcoming football feasts on Fall Saturdays. Our hosts Gary Seegars, Kyle Hunter and Parker Fleming preview the powerful SEC conference as well as college football odds and contenders for the national championship. In case you missed it, click the link here or head over to our BetUS College Football channel, subscribe and hit the bell to get notified. You're welcome. I'm back to give you a sneak peek on what's going on here at BetUS and you can always head over to our website to get the full details. Week one of the college football season is here and you know what that means, it's time to play some bets. You can make every bet count with our college and NFL featured and free events. Plus, we just opened our NFL Survivor Pool. Do you have what it takes to be the last player standing? Winner takes it all. And in case you haven't tried out our live betting platform, now it's the time. Try it risk-free with a dollar-for-dollar match up to $100. Kick off the college and pro seasons by getting in on all the football action here at BetUS, where the game begins.
1: hey everybody welcome to the bet u.s nfl show i'm your host matt landis joined by expert football handicappers las vegas chris on your left and scott kellen on your right if you're watching us on youtube today we'll be providing a comprehensive preview of the afc south right here at bet us where the game begins before we kick things off i've got one thing to tell you make sure to sign up today at bet us using the promo code nfl2021 to claim your 125% signup bonus. That's exclusive for sports betting, good up to $2,500. To take advantage of the offer and get info on the terms and conditions, check out the link below this video. And while you're at it, you can subscribe to this YouTube channel and go ahead and give us a thumbs up if you're enjoying this video. And you know the drill from there, hit that notification bell to get notified whenever we go live so you don't miss any of the exclusive action we'll be posting And speaking of going live, special thanks if you're joining us live today. Feel free to jump in on the chat. We want to hear from you and make this as interactive as possible. We'll be going live every Tuesday and Friday throughout the NFL season starting next week. Our schedule will be Tuesdays at 5.30 Eastern, 2.30 Pacific, and Fridays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. And Scott, we got some big news today out of New England with the Patriots releasing Cam Newton. What do you think the chances are that we see him starting elsewhere in the league this season or possibly signing on with a roster in this division we're looking at today, the AFC South?
2: <laughs> well, we'll see, Matt. I think the unfortunate thing for Cam is that this happens so late in the, in the preseason, uh, you know where teams have almost kind of decided where they're going to go. So I think it's going to be a little tough for him to just fit in and, and go into a team where he could he really have the potential to start, obviously immediately maybe down the road. But there are some teams that would certainly, could certainly benefit from him being a backup. Uh, you know, I've, I've never been a huge Cam guy, but um, you know, there are teams that could use him and he'd become a, you know, somewhat valuable piece to the whole quarterback piece that the teams have. Um, and, you know, we're looking at one with Houston, right? That, you know, some of these teams that have got young quarterbacks, they're not, they're not gonna start Cam over the young quarterbacks, but, you know, Houston's got a Tyride Taylor. So, you know, that, a, 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 that kind of team, could possibly take advantage of having him on the roster in some way, shape, or form.
1: Yeah, Chris, what do you think about the whole Cam Newton bombshell that we got this morning?
3: You know, I was a little disappointed because I'm kind of rooting for New England, uh, and I just thought it would be good to have him around. uh, So... You know, who knows what happens to this guy? You know, he's got a big salary. I, I heard uh, some people talking that he may not land anywhere the entire season. I find that hard to believe. I think he'll end up someplace. But uh, it, it just too high maintenance, you know, uh, with the COVID issues and uh, and just his performance. I, you know, I don't think people are jumping up and down to, to grab him.
1: Yeah, we saw a really strong start for him last season. And then once he tested positive, things really trailed off after that. So worth monitoring to see where Cam catches on. But wherever he ends up, we do have four teams to break down in the AFC South today, so we can get to it. Kicking things off with the Houston Texans, and we can look at their odds for this upcoming season. I think the number we're going to want to focus on here is that regular season one total at the bottom of this graphic. It's at four, and that was a low number when we had a 16-game season. So being on four regular season wins for the 17-game season, an especially low number, particularly when we look at all that juice to the under, minus 140 on the Texans to come in under four. So, Scott, it's looking pretty dire for Houston. Do you see any hope for the Texans this season?
2: Uh, I think it's pretty tough here, uh, Matt. My only comment would be, you know, last year they were minus nine in turnover margin, and literally, um, you know, only created three interceptions and six fumbles. Fumbles are random, but from an interception standpoint, just by sheer luck, um, you would think they would improve in that regard. And Tyrod Taylor has never been a quarterback that throws a lot of interceptions. So, from that standpoint, uh, you know, maybe they improve the turnover margin from last year and, you know, possibly gain something there. But short of that, I think it's going to be pretty tough for them. Um, to have a whole lot of hope with this team.
1: Yeah, and I think if we look at some positive regression that could be due for beyond turnovers, if we look at their Pythagorean numbers and their record in close games last year, that could be at least a glimmer of hope for the Texans when we project where they should see things righting the ship a little bit, at least, in 2021.
2: Yeah, if we if we take a look at their numbers, they win four games last year. Their Pythagorean numbers, um, expect especially when you extrapolate that out over 17 games, works out to be 6.6 wins, 6.2 in this graph because of 16 games. So they are underachieved and they were two and six in close games. So maybe they get some positive regression from that standpoint. But, you know, I, I calculate Tyrod Taylor versus Desha- Deshaun Watson, probably a five and a half to six point difference um, in, in terms of points per game. So, you know, is is the drop to Tyrod, you know, is that, you know, what's causing us to go down to about four wins from what maybe would have been six points, six wins, then throw in the fact that they've got the third toughest schedule in the league. Um, and it just makes it really, really hard to foresee them winning you know, more than four or five games. And they've only got four games where they're a dog of five or less points. So obviously the market and just their opponents are saying that they don't have a great chance to win a whole bunch of games this year.
1: Yeah, and Chris, I, I know you mentioned uh, you'll have a theme for each team as we work our way through the division today. You said the Texans were your Britney Spears team this year. I'm wondering if you can elaborate on that for us.
3: Well, the, the, they're, they're the Britney Spears team because, boy, they, they went out, they had a good time, and, uh, boy, they looked like they were having fun and everything was going, but uh, when you really get down to it, They, you know, they needed uh, somebody to be the conservator and take over for them because they pissed away all their draft picks. They've got nothing and they need somebody else to come in and manage this team. So that's why they're my Britney Spears team. Uh, Scott touched on it all. We don't have to waste a lot of time and and, and fill time. Time, Time's money. So uh, they're not favored a single game the entire season. Uh, Watson was great, 33-7, 70%. We can go on and on. They were number uh, 12 offensively for me. He's gone. They, they have nothing. They were number 30 defensively. Uh, they are bringing in 36 veterans. So they're going to be an old team, 60% team turnover. Who are these people? I, I mean, I I'm tell, I felt like I was at the airport When you get there really early and you've got all this time and then your flight's late, you know, because when it's like you had all this time to study and it's like, well, there's nothing here. I'm wasting my time. So we don't know what's going to happen to this team. The, The only bright spot. I love this team. I bet it 12 times last season. I was eight, three and one. And I love this division, so I'm looking forward to uh, hopefully having another good year betting. But as far as that, let's not waste our time.
1: <laughs> I love it. I-, I love the passion here. I do have to follow up on that last point you made. You had a really good handle on this division last season. How are you feeling about the AFC South coming into this year? I know that's going to be a hard winning percentage to replicate, but uh, do you feel optimistic about at least approaching you know, that level of success with the AFC South in 2021?
3: Oh, I don't think I can predict it. I, I, well, we know I can't do, uh, I'm not, I know I'm not going to do as well. I was 26 and nine in the division overall, which is 74%. I can't keep that up. Uh, the, it, it, I, th- I know a specific reason when we get to these next teams, uh, I'll, I'll kind of, we might as well just go into the I- Indianapolis, so, you know, well, since i
1: I'll stop you right there. Just be, We will get to the Colts, but we have a question in the chat from Birdie, and so this is something we can get to. How is a team that was 1-15 three-point favorites on the road to anybody, do you think there is any value on the Texans in week one? Very fair question. Scott, I'm inclined to think this might relate to the quarterback change and, and Houston just being in even more turmoil than Jacksonville these days, but what do you think?
2: Yeah, I think it's all that, Matt. And then you add in Urban Meyer, Trevor Lawrence, and you know, there's hype around that that is probably uh, built into the line as well. It's a really good question because I, you know, I've run some numbers and I know obviously we'll we'll hit on this game and and take a deeper dive into it next year or next week, but it's it's a fair question. Some of my numbers would suggest no. I ran another set of numbers that suggest value on Jacksonville. So um, I, I think it's a really good question. And um You know, I don't think it's completely out of line to think that maybe there's some value with Houston here. That's a big adjustment for a team that was one in fifteen, and and we'll get into Jacksonville, Jacksonville here in a little bit as well to talk about what they have done or not done, uh, you know, going into this season as well.
1: Yeah, and I think that uh, when it comes to Houston, one of one of my notes for this team was yes, they're rebuilding. Chris, you touched on all the veterans they brought in. Somehow, they still have the oldest roster in the league, despite being you know, at the pit of a rebuild. Uh, And at the same time, you know, it seems like every year there are one or two teams we go into the season with really, really low expectations for. And bad teams win games sometimes. You know, the Texans uh, underperformed their Pythagorean record by two games last year. Scott, you touched on two and six in close games. So I think, uh, yeah, they're there might be value on Houston or, or that line might just be right. These week one openers have been out for a long time, so it might be beat into place right now by some of the sharper people in the marketplace. But Chris, I think uh, one thing I'd like to follow up on that you said to put a bow on the Texans would be, you know, just wondering who these guys are. I think of uh, my favorite movie, Major League, when there's the uh, construction crew at the beginning of the movie looking what? at the opening day roster and there's, who the hell are these guys? That's kind of what it feels like with Houston this year. And if we want to know who these guys are, we might just have to wait and see for a bit.
3: Well, I, you know, I, I, when I saw Jacksonville up to a three-point favorite, uh, I, I really want to justify playing Houston. I, I, I thought to myself, there has to be a way to play Houston here. There's just no way you can justify playing Jacksonville. Uh, and it's, I, I, I'm not going to say I'm not going to be on Houston, but I'm having a hard time figuring out how I can be.
1: Yeah, well, like Scott said, we can dive into this game in a little more detail next week. But, yeah, uh, Bertie, thank you for the comment. Good question, and it's something we'll ponder and probably circle back on when we take a deeper dive at the week one slate. I think that's about all we've got to offer you guys on the Houston Texans. We can move on to the Indianapolis Colts, and let's take a look at some of their odds for the upcoming season. Here, I do think it's fair not just to look at the regular season win number, but to win the division, the Colts are at plus 130. Their regular season win total is a flat nine. And when it comes to the Colts, Chris, we know the supporting cast was an issue for Carson Wentz throughout his time in Philadelphia. We were thinking we might get a clear answer this year in Indianapolis whether the cast was a bigger problem than Wentz itself. But with injury issues and the COVID reserve list growing for the Colts, it looks like that supporting cast might be an issue for Carson Wentz once again this season with the Colts.
3: Well, speaking of cast... This is my mash unit because <laughs> it, it, it it just fits the profile. Obviously, mash had new characters come and go, just like Indianapolis has. Mash was a TV show that you either loved or you hated it. It just uh, and I feel the betters either love Indianapolis or they hate Indianapolis. And then of course the obvious, they're the medical team with all the injuries, surrounded by just difficulty. Uh, so that's why they're my mash unit. But I loved them last year. I bet them 13 times, N- went nine and three with one push. And I'd love to bet them all we- all year long again. But uh, you know, we're just going to have to see. They-, they were just a monster team last year. They flew under the radar. Nobody respected them. They overvalued their week schedule. And I got a lot of value with Indianapolis last year. So uh, their, their big weakness is their pass defense at 66%. Uh, and that's something that they need to improve on. But they didn't do anything to, to work on that. They had a horrible draft. Uh, and this revolving door of injuries is too hard to keep up on. And you look at the first five games of the season, Seattle, the Rams, Tennessee on the road, Miami on the road, Baltimore on the road. Uh, they don't have a buy until week 14 to recenter themselves. Uh, so I, this whole division, to answer your question, I, I'm pretty much, I think I'm going to be hands off. I, I, I want to see what happens to all these teams. As much as I love Indianapolis, I'll turn on her in a moment. I'll pivot. I'll bet against her like that. So I, I go where the value is. And I I just can't bet on anybody right now in this division, quite frankly, I don't think.
1: Yeah, I'll I'll try to note the injuries you alluded to just to give a decent overview to the audience tuning in here. The latest tally I've got, you you talk about them being a match team. If we look at the offensive line, all-pro left guard Quentin Nelson working his way back from a foot injury. He also spent a stint on the COVID reserve list. Uh, Also along the offensive line, new left tackle Eric Fisher. Rehabbing an Achilles injury and he's also missed some time after testing positive for COVID a couple weeks ago when it comes to depth on the line even a guy like Sam Tevi was completing to replace Fisher at the start of the season at left tackle he tore an ACL so he's out for the season and it's going to be big shoes for someone to fill at left tackle because Anthony Costanza was there for a decade and he was a pro football focus top 10 offensive tackle four of those seasons. So we're going to, you know, at least hope that Carson Wentz can get some good protection up front, but it's to be determined who provides that protection for him. And in terms of the guys he's going to be throwing the ball to, again, this sounds awfully familiar going back to his time in Billy, uh, leading wide receiver T.Y. Hilton, likely out for the start of the season with a neck and back injury. And, and beyond these injuries, if we look at the COVID reserve list for the Colts right now, still focusing on that offensive line and wide receiver core that Carson Wentz is going to be leaning on Center Ryan Kelly, currently on the COVID list. He's a two-time Pro Bowler, also working his way back from an elbow injury. Wide receiver Zach Paschal, who plays a meaningful role in the offense, currently sidelined. And once himself, he was set to return to full team drills for the first time since his foot surgery at the beginning of the month. That was gonna happen yesterday, but now he's landed on the COVID list. So chemistry is going to be a major question for this team. Scott, how quickly do you think the Colts are going to be able to piece it together with all these moving parts and question marks popping up this late in the offseason?
2: Well, that's a good question, Matt. And Chris hit on it. first five games are tough. Then they get a little bit of a break. They play Houston. And then along comes San Francisco and Tennessee. So seven of their first eight games are going to be extremely challenging. And if they don't have their ducks in a row and cards in order, uh, it is going to be tough. And You know, obviously, Wentz had a lot of success with Frank Reich back in Philly, so there's some hope from that standpoint. In theory, you'd think the offensive line would be better, and that can be partly to blame for all of Carson's problems in Philly, uh, especially last year. But some of this is on him, and how much of this is in his mind yet as well? uh, And you could watch those games last year, and you could just see, uh, and you know, uh, really not to a fault of his, that a lot of this is just in his mind, and. So, how quickly can he get that out of his mind uh, as well is a big thing, I think, as well. Yeah,
1: and I'd like to follow up on the point you mentioned about Wentz reuniting with Frank Reich. That's a big storyline, and of course, that could make all the difference in the world. Um, but at the same time, looking at Wentz last year, he led the league with 15 interceptions and 50 sacks, and that came in just 12 games. So. When it comes to Wentz reuniting with Frank Reich, how much do you expect that to kind of uh, cover up a lot of the flaws that we saw when it came to Wentz's performance in 2020?
2: Well, a lot of the flaws, who knows? I will say this, too. You know, Philip Rivers had one of his better years with Reich last year as well. So, you know, maybe there's something to be said from that standpoint in terms of what Frank Reich can do and the system that they run, et cetera. So you hope that that helps him a little bit. But kind of like Chris, you know, Chris said, I think on one of our first shows, shows hurry up and wait. Um, you know, let's just take a wait and see attitude a little bit here and just see what we truly have. And has Carson turned it around at all? Um, and, you know, there's no rush, right? And and the beauty of the NFL, uh, unlike maybe season wins that we're talking about here, is every week you get a chance to evaluate and you can bet on or against. So, you know, let's kind of see. And The other thing here is with their first game, five games being really tough and seven out of eight, if we don't like what we see early on, we're going to get some fairly, uh, uh, fairly, uh, you know, equal opponents in in the weeks to come after that game. So, you know, we'll have a chance to go against or play on, you know, based on what we're seeing from the team as a whole.
1: Yeah, and I want to take a moment, Scott, to also pull up the Colts, Pythagorean numbers. You mentioned hurry up and wait. Chris, that's been a mantra that you've preached, and, and I think very astutely so this offseason, but as we start to maybe not fire bets on the Colts or this division quite yet, still start to formulate what we're going to look for and where we'll be ready to adjust once the season gets going. Scott, when it comes to the Colts' Pythagorean numbers, their record in close games, their schedule this year, what are you looking at in terms of how quickly you're going to make a move on or against the Colts this season?
2: Yeah, I mean, we look from last year, they had uh, 11 wins on the season. Their Pythagorean, uh, we can see in the chart there, came in at 10 and when we extrapolate that out now because we're playing 17 games, we're at 10.7. So pretty much in line uh, with the 11. But of course, uh, you know, we've set their number a little bit lower on the over under uh, season wins. They were four and two in close games. Not a whole lot to take from there. Um, and they're scheduled 26, you know, so fairly easy schedule for them as well. Uh, but when we look at, you know, the lines that have been created for all 18 weeks of the season, it, it puts us at 9.6 wins. So. Pretty neutral as a whole in terms of the over-under season wins and kind of what we see with these numbers. Um, Not a whole lot to gain from there. I think it's more of we just got to see how quickly uh, this team comes together as a whole uh, and and plays before we can really form a whole lot of opinions on them. And and ironically, where Chris said this has been the easiest team for him to handicap, whether it's last year or over previous years, this is one of the teams, for me, uh, I've always had a, a real uh, trouble handicapping and just never felt like I've had a good sense of where they're going to be on a week-by-week basis. So I think it's funny you know. How some people see the team as very easy and some see it as being very difficult. And uh, hopefully I can see a little bit more of Chris's mind in this team in the near future.
3: Well, you're not alone in this, though, Scott. I, I mean, I, I feel like I was on a little mini island uh, because I argued – Indianapolis all last year with people, and I argued that Rivers was a much better quarterback. I mean, everybody said Rivers was garbage. And uh, he was top 10 in, in so many categories. He was really, really good. It's the first time when he's been behind a good offensive line. So he had time to throw the ball. You know, here's another silly statistic, and you guys can make fun all you want. Remember, I was 9-3. and three. Indianapolis, I had rated as the fourth best team in the NFL last year. So you can laugh all you want, but it brings me winners. You can laugh that I had Cleveland rated so low, I won betting against them. You can laugh. I had Chicago uh, rated above Cleveland, but I had a six and three record with Chicago. So something's got to be right. And to answer your question, Scott, I think it's really just looking at the statistics and seeing that they, they're just well-rounded and well-coached and a mm-hmm. and veteran and a cohesive unit that is just consistent. And uh, sure. The wheels fell off the bus a couple of times. Uh, and they got lucky with that big green Bay comeback. Uh, you know that was a disaster, but uh, they—they were a quality team, and boy, am I going to miss them because uh, I don't think they could—I don't think they're going to be as good this year, no matter what they do.
2: No, but yeah. I, you know, I'll say this, Chris. You know, going into the game, you always know when you've got like a Frank Wright that you're at least in a decent position. You know that uh, decisions that are going to be made are are probably correct, and you know the game plan has a chance to succeed and all that. And and obviously, it doesn't always play out that way in the field, but. Uh, you know, that's a huge thing when you're betting on or against them to kind of know where they're coming from, just from that standpoint. I knew this team so
3: well. I remember it was a crucial game for me uh, later on in the season, and they were playing Houston, I think it was, and Houston had the ball inside the five-yard line with like 15 seconds to go, and it was just going to ruin my weekend, and I literally wasn't even worried wasn't worried. I'm like, yeah, that's going to screw me. It's going to be really tough. It's, you know, I'm going to be, you know, like getting kneecapped, but <laughs> they're going to stop him. I honestly, they're going to stop him. Now, now, where are you? You know, obviously, I think Watson fumbled uh, right there at the two or something, but it just knew some way, somehow, you know, when a good team is going to come away with a win.
1: Yeah, that game reminds me of uh, that's probably one of my luckier total wins of all time, let alone last season. I believe I had the under I had the under in that game, and I believe it was within a field goal or a touchdown of cashing at halftime. Uh, if, if memory serves, I think there was a safety, and that's about it in the second half. So I uh, really had to thread the needle to come out with the win there, but the Colts definitely rewarded uh, you and me both, Chris, at certain times last year. I'll be curious to see the kind of read that all three of us can get on Indianapolis in 2021. Uh, I think we can move on to the next team. And with Jacksonville, the thought I have is that no matter how good of a read or how poor of a read any of us have had on them in the past, that all kind of goes out the window. Uh, they have some new faces in new places we can touch on after we look at their odds for the coming season. I think we can focus on their division win number plus 650, their regular season win total, 6.5, juiced a good bit to the under. And when we're looking at the Jags, Scott, what are your expectations – for year one of the Urban Meyer and Trevor Lawrence regime?
2: Well, I think the question here, uh, you know, Matt comes in is how much do they pick up from Trevor Lawrence versus Gardner Minshew? You know, they, they batted a few pieces to the puzzle in the secondary, but their defense was horrible last year, allowing 153 yards rushing per game. They averaged just over one sack per game. And the, the offensive line's not bad, but they did average just under three sacks allowed last year. So what are they getting? And, and you know, Minshew, Minshew only played, I don't know, five, six, seven games last year. And then they had a few other quarterbacks play that were worse than Gardner Minshew. But Gardner Minshew had a 1.4% uh, interception rate. Uh, I got to believe Trevor Lawrence, no matter how good he is, just being a rookie quarterback, he's going to be higher in his um, uh, interception rate than what Minshew was. Uh, and now the other quarterbacks were obviously much worse. Um, and, you know, they, they'll probably get a little bit better yards per pass out of Lawrence. They've actually got some receivers here. um, And, you know, they could actually move the ball, especially if they can protect Trevor Lawrence. And, you know, he's got some mobility as well. Maybe that helps as well. I just don't know how much they've really done on defense. And this defense was horrible last year. So I just don't know how much better their defense is going to be. With that said, though, this division, you know, it, it has a chance to be very, very average. And they could just pick up some wins just because of that. And here's the other thing, which is just kind of shocking. Jacksonville, I believe, their only win last year, by the way, was week one at home against uh, Indianapolis. Maybe a little bit of a false win for them, but they got the win. They have defeated Jack uh, Indianapolis at home, I believe it's six straight years in a row. Definitely five, maybe six years in a row. I don't know what you take from that. But for, and they've had a, a couple of those years where they were decent teams. Um, but for some reason, they've had their number at home uh, for whatever reason. And you know this division is just bad enough that maybe they can pick up some other wins as well.
1: Yeah, when it comes to that angle, I'm wondering if that might be part of the storyline. We'll hear sometimes of teams from cold weather climates playing in hot, humid areas early in the season. I know last year it was week one where the Colts had to go down to Jacksonville and they lost that one. Obviously, to your point, maybe a bit of a phony win for the Jags. The Colts didn't punt in that game, so the Jags could have easily maybe been 0-16 if we look at it that way. How much of the recent success the Jags have had against a team like the Colts in Florida do you attribute to that early season, you know, hot, humid shock to the system that it might be for a team like Indy, whereas the Jags, they live in it, so they're used to it?
2: Well, I I do think there's something to hot weather in week one. You know, Miami is another team, Tampa Bay, obviously – But, you know, I don't know if it was two years ago, three years ago. I think they beat them fairly late in the season. So, um, you know, there probably wasn't a lot of heat then uh, relative to what there would be in the early weeks. So and Jacksonville was slightly better, uh, you know, a few years ago, obviously. But and if we look back the last six years, there's probably been a, a few wins that have been later in the year so. I don't know how much you can put there. I mean, maybe it's week one and obviously, you know, uh, Indianapolis made some mistakes and whatnot, clearly, and things can happen, you know, in the early weeks of a season. Um, you know, the the Heat certainly, I think, has a, uh, a play in all that and any team that's playing down in Florida in week one, but um, I, I don't know if I'd put a lot of, on that as a whole.
1: Got it. Well, Chris, I want to work you into the conversation here with the Jags because you've noted that this is the... Carla Peller team Uh, explain to us what you mean by that one
3: where is the beef where's the beef (laughs) I mean you got the pretty boy quarterback and 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 I didn't watch a lot of preseason but the only time I saw this kid I see the golden hair like the guy from you know uh, California or sunshine from uh, remember the titans and uh what else do they have you know Jacksonville I, I a lot of people I talked to didn't even bet a Jacksonville game last year, uh, oddly enough. I bet them five times, and I bet on them five times with a winning record. So, uh, I, you know, they were, a believe it or not, they finished 27th and 28th in offense and defense on my metrics, 31st in the league. And they were actually a better team than people realized for a while. I mean, they really fell apart at the bo- at the end. Uh, but they were a playable team for a while. Uh, but where's the beef? They've got nothing. They, 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 I, I don't think I've heard some of the players complaining about Urban already. Already, uh, the Tebow thing didn't work. Uh, it's uh, they've got they were out, they were outscored. They scored 32 t- 33 touchdowns last year. They gave up 34 just on passes. So, you know, they had some really extreme stats. They only had 18 sacks and were sacked 44 times. Uh, like uh, Scott said, they they, they gave up a 1,000 yards more on the ground than they, uh, they were able to get. Uh, so... I can't. It's another situation. They've got one of the easiest schedules. The one thing that goes in their favor is they could technically get it. They've got a really easy start of a schedule with Houston and Denver if they don't live up to expectations. Arizona, I don't know. Cincinnati, I don't know. But they get their bye week early, and that's good for a new head coach where they can make some adjustments and uh, take a little bit of a break uh, after week six. Other than that, just hurry up and wait.
1: No, yeah.
3: not, I can't waste any more time on it. I, there's no way. We don't know what's going to happen.
1: Yeah, well said. Kind of like Houston, we don't need to uh, beat a dead horse by by going overboard on Jacksonville. But you did touch on the schedule, Chris, and I think that could be a nice bridge. Back to Scott, if we want to look at their schedule and some Pythagorean numbers to see where, yes, they were 1-15 in last year, but their record could have been a decent bit better than that. And Scott, maybe some of the, these numbers would be go a long ways in answering Bertie's question earlier about how the Jags are three-point favorites in week one despite last season's record.
2: Yeah, so they go 1-15, uh, as you pointed out, Matt. Their Pythagorean, as we can see in the screen here, is 3.9. If we take that out over 17 games, that would have been 4.2. So that starts to get us, you know, closer to six, six and a half wins. Um, and, they, you know, they underachieved by almost three wins. They're one in five in close games. So, okay, maybe they get some regression there that helps them. 28th uh, toughest schedule. So as, as Chris alluded to uh, early on in the year, they've got some breaks that maybe can make some hay. Um, and um, I, I also went back this morning and said, any team that's won one game in the previous season, how have they done the next year? And I believe there's been 10 teams that have gone one in 15. And I think four, I should say, five or six of those 10 actually won seven or more games the next year. So, you know, because my first thoughts were that's a big jump to go from one win to really at six and a half wins of the over under to have to win seven games. How do you pick up six games uh, with such a horrible team the previous year? But it has been done uh, maybe about 60% of the time. Obviously very limited uh, sample size there, but that kind of shocked me a little bit that we've seen that big of a jump, uh, you know, teams that did so poorly. So it's not out of line to have them win seven games. I just don't know where all the wins are going to come from because, again, I don't think they've done a lot with that defense. I will say, you know, Chris said hurry up and wait. I think that's excellent advice. What I'll be looking at early on, I think they've got okay receivers if Lawrence can can mesh with them. So maybe scoring some points, but their defense is going to give up points. They may play some higher-scoring games, and we'll see how this goes as the season unfolds early on, but there might be some opportunities from that standpoint as well. And But at the same time, if they play a really good defensive team, uh, you know, might shut that down. Maybe we get some value on under if they are sc- playing some high-scoring games early on as well.
1: Yeah, and I'll be curious to see how their defense progresses over the course of the season, because I see a bit of a parallel to something we talked about with the Vikings during our recent NFC North preview, and that would be the Jags. Having a young secondary, we might see some pretty decent development from them. Unlike the Vikings, however, Jacksonville has a new coaching staff, so the Vikings could see some big year two bumps with Mike Zimmer riding the ship. Uh, with the jug, some new coaches might delay the progress a bit. So it'll be interesting to see how much the new staff is basically a reset for this young secondary or how much a second year in the league can help them maybe you know step up a level or two to keep the team in some games, even if the offense isn't going crazy. All right. Well, I think that says it all for Jacksonville, guys. We can move on to the fourth and final team in the division. We've got a favorite here, the Tennessee Titans. We can look at their numbers not just to win the division, but they might be in the mix to make a deeper run than that. 28-1 to 1 to win the Super Bowl, 14-1 to 1 to win the AFC. They're a minus-110 favorite to win the AFC South, and their regular season number sitting at 9.5, a bit of juice to the over at minus-120. And when we're looking at the Titans, Chris, we know they've made the playoffs the last couple of years. They had a decent run to the, um, to the AFC title game, but are they equipped to take that next step and you know get over the hump this year? Or do you see any regression coming their way in Tennessee? Well, I am
3: named this team the Fast and the Furious team because for obvious reasons, uh, when you see these games with them, it's action-packed. But, uh, you know, as the years go by, the story doesn't get any better, the character changeover isn't any better, and you end up leaving disappointed. So I think it fits. Uh, Tennessee, I had rated just above Chicago, just above Cleveland last year. And if you don't agree with that, I was six and one with them. So anyway, uh, (laughs) there's a lot of good things to say about this team. Okay. We, I'm not going to waste the time with the, with the stats, Henry, 2000 yards, Tannehill 33, seven. We know how good they were on offense they played nobody. They, they, they played one of the worst defense defensive schedules in the league. This year, they're playing one of the most difficult. So they lost their offensive coordinator, and the new defensive er, coordinator's in there saying he wants to make better use of Henry. How are you going to make better use of Henry after he's just had 2,000 yards and he's ran the ball uh, uh, probably as much as anybody since the Tomlinson. are you gonna just, you know chew this guy and and, and ruin his career and spit him out? So
0: yeah, there's...
1: well when it comes to Derek Henry, i'll I'll add a couple of numbers to you know to put some context behind what you just said. I, I was also curious when I saw the comment about maximizing his role as if it wasn't already tapped out because he has more than seven hundred eighty carries the last two years. if we include the playoffs. and if we include receptions, that number goes to north of eight hundred. So, a lot of guys might be hitting a wall after a run like that, but uh, you know, Derrick Henry, obviously a very special player, but is, is he a unicorn in the sense of maybe not hitting a wall quite yet despite that big workload recently?
3: I think well I think he'll keep he can keep it coming. It's just what do you do you want this guy to have a future? I mean we've seen uh um we we've seen how these running backs that that are used that much last three years, not the traditional five years. So are you gonna chew him up and spit him out I mean uh, what do you what are you going to do about your future? I mean he's a great person I mean you could you need to spread it out
1: yeah, well, I think there there's a lot to like about the offense and if they can spread things out that might give them more of a future but Scott I also know that you had some thoughts on the defense possibly being a key to a lot of the Titans potential this season
2: well, you know they last year they averaged uh just over a sack a game so and i don't know how much they've added there yes they've added bud dupree uh that that will certainly help them a little bit but you know i don't know that they've made enough moves on their defense to really improve their defense that much um i do think it's you know the the derrick henry comment by the way you know when mike mccarthy went to dallas last year and say what you want about Mark, mike mccarthy whether you think he's a good coach or bad coach let's just assume you think he's an offensive genius that i'm not saying that right but but what was he going to do to that Cowboy offense last year? Because in 2019 they were phenomenal and on offense. He was, so no matter how good he was, he wasn't going to take that offense to another level. They had already kind of reached their their elite level uh, from an offensive standpoint. Just like Derrick Henry, he's done what he's going to do, and so I don't see how you're going to get any better with Derrick Henry. Uh, and you know, to the point that you could you know overuse him, obviously. So um, yeah, you know, I don't know that there's much to be gained from that side of it and defensively i just i don't know if they've made enough moves here somehow this team was plus 11 in turnovers last year and generated 15 interceptions while still just generating a little bit over a sack a game so I don't know if they can duplicate that uh, on the, from a turnover standpoint. And if they don't do that, that plus 11 turnovers potentially comes down to a lower number. Uh, and I know when we look at the Pythagoreans, we'll see some other things that might suggest they regress. So I don't see upside for them on the defensive side. It seems like they, they really got the upside that they could get last year. Um, to me, it's, it's probably not as good defensively, and, and that could lead to some problems uh, as well. Well, they faced one of the easiest
3: pass offensive schedules uh, last year. And this year you've got the inverse uh, situation. So all these horrible defensive metrics. I had them 29th in the league in defense. All these horrible metrics were against easy pass defenses. Now you're going to be facing one of the top schedules for passing offenses. So, I mean, boy, look at these quarterbacks. (laughs) Anyway. So, you know, you sit there and you look at Indianapolis and you go, well, Tennessee's got to, you know, walk you know, run away with this division. But there's a lot of reasons. And, and don't ignore the turnover on this team. 12 of 22 starters have been replaced. You know, that kind of changeover, uh, along with the offensive coordinators, you know, switch That makes a difference, and then let's not forget. With that easy cakewalk schedule, they were seven and two in close games. Are they? They're not going to get that that that, you know those breaks again. So there's a lot of reasons to think things can go south. Tannehill is due for serious regression. He's been one of the top statistical quarterbacks in the league for the last couple of years. It's like off the charts, and he can't keep it up. He just can't. And if they're expecting Julio Jones to come in and play in his prime, that's not going to happen.
1: Yeah, well, with Tannehill, I think you, you bring up an interesting point there. I know you've mentioned a stat uh, talking about a previous quarterback when it comes to bad ball rate, which has been pioneered by data scientist Ed Fang. And that's basically looking at the percentage of pass attempts that get either intercepted or or simply touched by a defender. And Ed has found that that stat is actually more predictive year over year than interceptions themselves. And when we look at Tannehill, this gets really interesting Because Tannehill has had a very low interception rate in recent years, but his bad ball rate has been above league average. So that's not to say that he hasn't been good and shown a lot of progress since escaping Adam Gase in Miami. I think we need to give Tannehill a lot of credit for the growth that he's shown as a quarterback. But that's not to say there hasn't been some luck thrown in as well.
3: You know, another uh, horrible thing they had, they were 18 for 26 on field goals. Is that correct? I'll take your word for it. Kutowski, 18 for 26 on field goals. I mean, unbelievable.
2: Well, I, I would say the other thing, too, that, you know, Julio Jones has come in there, which is fantastic for him. But remember, they lost Johnny Smith and Corey Davis. I think Corey Davis, a little bit underrated. And, you know, I'm always I always worry a little bit when guys have great seasons, go to another team. Was it a product of really being surrounded by other great players uh, uh, on their you know original team, and can they duplicate that? But I think they take a step back. Despite getting Julio Jones, they they probably take a step back from that standpoint as well because they lost two very valuable players, uh, you know, within their receiver ranks uh, as well.
1: Yeah, and I think that ties into a question we have another good one from Birdie. And it says the Titans are favorites in 13 games this season, yet their win total is 10 and a half. Initially, I was thinking their win total over maybe a look, but does 10 and a half make sense given their favorites in 13, gift or trap? And I think that's a good way to frame this question. And guys, something that's come up as we have previewed uh, most of the divisions to date is looking at some teams, the number of games they're favored in compared to their regular season win total. And I have had the thought come up a few times where, okay, if a team is favorite in half its games and an underdog in half its games, that doesn't necessarily mean their win total should be exactly 500. I guess with a 17 game, that's a little weird this year. So let's say, you know, eight and a half if they are favorites and underdogs an equal number of times, because what we could have is, you know, just for simplicity's sake, every game they're favored, maybe they're favored by an average of six or seven. And when they're underdogs, it could be, you know, three or less. And in that case, the win total should be higher to account for you know, each game being a certain fraction of a win. When it comes to the Titans, again, Bertie mentioned being favored in 13 games, yet the win total uh, a good bit lower than that. What do you make of the Tennessee Titans win total entering 2021?
2: Well, first of all, I'll just say to to your points, Matt, um, you know, both Indianapolis and Tennessee have an average line of being favored by minus one, according to my calculations, for all 18 games. So they're on the same level in terms of their average line. But to your point, um, Indianapolis is – I just did a quick count here, so I could be wrong in this. But Indianapolis is only favored in eight games, but they're favored by more in some of those games, where to your point, uh, Tennessee is favored by three, three three-and-a-half, three, three Uh, three-and-a-half. So they've got a lot of small favorites, and they're also small dogs. So even though they're favored by ten points – you know, if you look at straight up win percentages at the lines that they're favored by, um, you know, it doesn't necessarily translate to them winning 11 games necessarily because they're more likely to lose some of those favorite games because they're just smaller favorites or they're on the road favored, uh, et cetera.
1: Yeah, and I think if we take a look at the Pythagorean numbers now, that can also help to inform the approach uh, in terms of what to expect with Tennessee this coming season. So, Scott, when we look at this chart one more time today for those watching on YouTube – What stands out when you look at the Titans' numbers here?
2: Yeah, quite a bit. So they win 11 games last year. The Pythagorean is 9.1. That's a 16-game schedule. So when we translate that over 17 games, we're at 9.6, which puts us basically where they are for the season win number. Um, But they overachieved by 1.9. Two is kind of the key number for me that starts to translate to some, you know, serious regression potential. Uh, So they're in that ballpark. And then seven and two in close games, extremely lucky in lucky or fortunate, we should say maybe in close games. So all of a sudden now, uh, seven if, if seven and two becomes four and three uh, or sorry five and four, for example, that's a two game swing, and they're now they're only at nine games. Add in that you know their their overall schedule is twenty four, so it's not super tough. They have ten games against teams projected to win eight and a half or more games. So that's kind of your eight and a half and eight and a half. But they have 12 games against teams projected to win eight or more games. Chris kind of alluded to it. Last year, they played eight teams that didn't make the playoffs. So even though they've got a couple games of teams that were are projected to win less than eight and a half games, they're right in that neighborhood. So 12 of their 17 games could be considered to be fairly tough. They're not expected to have a great defense this year. Uh, Tannehill possibly regresses for all the reasons you mentioned. They're fortunate to win some of these close games. Um, there is just some serious possible regression that could happen here. And I would lean under the nine and a half season wins. Um, and maybe in Jacksonville only figures to be better just because obviously Houston figures to be worse, but you know, Houston was bad last year anyway. So they might have a tougher slate, you know, from it, from that standpoint as well. So I would lean under in their season wins just because of all the above.
1: Yeah, and Chris, Scott touched on it being a tougher slate for the Titans this season. How do you see it shaping up for them with uh, some thoughts about their draft and some new cast members as well?
3: Well, they, you know, they had a really good draft. So uh, th- that's one thing that they have going for them. Uh, they had a, a B-minus draft, and they did smart things. They took a cornerback that they needed. They took two wide receivers that they needed. Just they took the wrong ones. They could have taken better ones. Um they helped their offensive line and linebacker uh, a little bit. Uh, and it looks like they picked up a kicker, too, I guess. So uh, I don't know if he's going to uh, be on the team. But uh, and speaking of kickers, by the way, the Lions cut both of their kickers today. They have no kickers.
1: <laughs> so, All right. Uh, the the Lions mentioned cash 200. Lions mentioned every episode. And I think we're defeated so far.
3: 43% of their roster is 24 years of age or younger. So... Obviously, I switched teams. I'm done with Tennessee. I think the only other thing I can say is they're always overvalued in the betting market because people like Tennessee, and there's just always extra value betting against Tennessee for some reason. They're they're just a darling.
1: Yeah, well, one final question I have for either of you. Let's make this open-ended, but one thing that stood out when I looked at the Titans at last count, kind of similar to Indy in the sense that I saw – COVID protocols right now have nine players and three coaches affected. What kind of impact do you see that having on the Titans in a, in a year where, yes, COVID will still be a concern at sometimes, but it's not like 2020 where everybody is dealing with it to more or less the same extent. So when a team has some issues like this, just how impactful might that be?
3: You know, I was at the uh, Circa panel this past weekend with uh, Michael Lombardi. I was, I was chatting with him beforehand, and he really woke me up to that. He's, he's like... And you got to kind of watch out for Tennessee in these first couple of weeks because you just don't come back right away from this. And uh, there may be some added value betting against. So uh, I, I did take a mental note on that. I should have mentioned it earlier, but uh, uh, that's some good
2: information, I think. Uh, you know, I, to that point, Chris, I think we learned that last year. Some players said that, you know, it kicked the hell out of them. It took them a little while to come back. Now, the the other side of that that I would look at, if it's happening to a player who's vaccinated, you know, it seems like the symptoms and whatnot are are, are less uh, heavy to someone that's been vaccinated versus someone that hasn't been. So maybe it'll be a little bit easier to come back from that, but that all remains to be seen. And I think something that has to be watched pretty closely.
1: Yeah, I think as we wrap up the Titans talk, uh, one thing I would consider, we'll dive into again the whole week one slate next week, but Arizona coming to Tennessee, that line has been sitting on three for a good bit, and I've started to see some juice on the Cardinals. So if you're looking that way and the three starts to get away at some books, always advocate shopping lines. And, and if you're looking for Arizona plus three, we might not have until next week to pull the trigger on a flat plus three. So something to keep in the back of your mind for a bit. And uh, again, we'll make sure to revisit that one as we break down the week one board next week. At this stage though, I think we can take a look at the overall odds for the AFC South one more time to revisit how the landscape looks. Tennessee, you know, despite some possible regression headed their way, we know they're a very talented team. They have a great track record the last couple years. So they are the favorite at minus 115. The Colts not too far behind at plus 130. Jacksonville at plus 650. And then Houston, you know, way at the back of the bus, plus 2,500. So as we hit the home stretch here, guys, we can get it to some leans. I don't think we have any bets we recommend making right now but certainly some good food for thought as people you know, start to digest what we've talked about with the AFC South. And Scott, I'd like to start with you and a lean you had mentioned on the Jags. I think that was under six and a half regular season wins at minus 130.
2: Yeah, under six and a half. I, I'm not sure where the six wins, will, uh, well, seven wins essentially will come from. Uh, I'm a little, the only reason I, you know, it's a lean, not a bet, uh, is just simply because um, the division is bad. I don't know what we get out of Tennessee and Indianapolis. You know, we could they could pick up some wins there, but I would lean under the six and a half. It's going to take seven wins, and I'm just not sure that they've done enough to pick up an extra six wins uh, for them this year. Um, but because the division is so bad, it's possible. So that makes it a lean as opposed to a best bet.
1: Yeah, and uh, and sticking with Jacksonville, I'll say that I I totally hear you there, but I do lean their way when it comes to that division price of plus six fifty. And really, for me, it's all about the variance in play here. We talked about some regression that could be headed the Titans' way on offense with the Colts. We're not sure if Wentz is the answer. The Texans are basically an afterthought at this point. And we've seen you know some possible warts from Trevor Lawrence and Urban Meyer in the preseason. But if they pop in year one, that might be enough to get them to the top of this division. I mean, Chris, you mentioned a couple NFC divisions being Yahtzee divisions. I'd say at this price tag, I'll take Jacksonville for my Yahtzee division being the AFC South. But the reason I do have that as just a lean is because we know the Jags' offensive line could be quite an issue. They've already struggled to protect Lawrence throughout the preseason. One of their first rounders, Travis Etienne, out for the season already. And for me, it's, it's almost always going to come down to the price. And the market has done a lot of catching up to this price tag for the Jags. It was uh, north of a 10-to-1 payout earlier this offseason. And if we're looking at plus 650, that essentially equates to a break-even percentage of 13.3%. So if the Jags don't win the division at least 13.3% of the time, this is not a profitable wager. I, I would guess that maybe the true number for the Jags odds to win the division could be closer to 15%. So that's why I have a lean there, but not quite enough value to tie up bankroll on the Jags division number for the full season. Scott, I know you also had a lean on Tennessee the last time we talked about. Um, I think Bertie's question mentioned a win total of 10.5, but we've got 9.5 at BetUS. So even at that number, still leaning to the under.
2: Yeah, I would lean under 9.5, and and boy, 10.5, I I would take a shot at that uh, for sure. But I just think there's a lot of uh, signs, uh, which doesn't always play out, right, but signs of regression here with this team. Um, And because of that, I I think under 9.5, we have a reasonable chance, uh, and therefore the lean on the under as well.
1: Cool. And Chris, any leans for you on this division, or is it more of the same with hurry up and wait? I I, I, I
3: I don't know how Jacksonville's ever going to win seven games uh, so I do lean under there I, I actually feel like kind of an idiot for not betting it but you know what I just don't want the aggravation I, I you know sometimes you, you you don't have I just don't want it I don't know how to explain it I, I just like I said I don't want to have it nagging in my head uh, in any way shape or form. Uh, I probably should have a Jacksonville under ticket. Uh, but aside from that, nothing, nothing.
1: I, yeah, you know, well,
3: it's Houston probably can't win either. But you know, if somehow Watson gets to play, then you're going to be really pissed you got that under ticket.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I think one of the most prudent things we can do as betters is, is is be patient and pick our spots. We we've talked about the books have to throw out a line for every game. And in this case, a line for every regular season win total, every division price. But we don't have to bet into everyone at this stage. I hope this has given everybody, again, some good food for thought as we get to the stage where pretty soon we'll have the opportunity to bet on or against each of these teams every week of the season. And on that note, I, th- I think that's going to, yeah, <laughs> a lot of excitement from Chris for the AFC South. Uh, the, the juggernaut that is the AFC South. So on that note, I think we can go ahead and thank everybody for tuning in to the BetUS NFL show. If you have any thoughts, questions, or topic ideas for future videos, let us know in the comments of this video, or feel free to reach out on Twitter if you're listening to this in podcast form. Speaking of Twitter, you can find Chris at Las Vegas Chris. that's C-R-I-S. You can find Scott at Sixth Sense NFL, and you can find me at MLandis18. And for those of you watching on YouTube, thanks for joining us today. You know the drill. Go ahead and subscribe to this channel. Give this video a thumbs up if you like what we're doing. And please hit that notification bell so you don't miss out on any of the action. Once again, starting next week, we'll be coming to you live on Tuesdays at 5.30 p.m. Eastern, 2.30 Pacific, as well as Fridays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. As always, please come chat with us and let's have some fun together as we look for edges all season long. Last but not least, everybody, don't forget to use the promo code NFL2021 when signing up at BetUS to claim your 125% sign-up bonus that's exclusive for sports betting, good up to $2,500. And one more reminder, everybody, we will be with you every Tuesday and Friday throughout the season. Next up this Friday, it's the NFC South. Maybe we're not saving the best division for last, but we have saved the defending champs for last. So we'll see you on Friday right back here at BetUS where the game begins. So <smart noise>